six months to a year that's going to uh, shake our world. But um, I'm, my prayer is that we'll be ready for it. We're, our hearts are going to be ready. We're going to be uh, able to, put, to stand in the day and, and be able to walk with the Lord. Uh, we just finished 14 days since the day we celebrated um, the resurrection of Christ. And I pray that the reality of the fact that he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today, is a part of your life. It's a part of your heart and your thinking. You know, so many of our songs uh, in the faith have to do with that revelation and the reality of, of someone who wrote it down and said, this has been important to me as I've considered the resurrection. I was thinking of that chorus earlier this morning, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, what? All fear is gone. For I know, and I know uh, that he holds the future, and life is worth living just because he lives. That's the reality we're going to walk in. Now, last week, we talked a lot about the song of the Lord. We talked about what it meant for Jesus having finished the Seder meal. And said they sang a, a hymn. And that is a Hallel. And we talked about that. Psalm 113 to 118 is, is what is considered the Hallel. It's the praise psalms that concludes the Seder meal. The remembrance of God's deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt. And how I, I just really sense and see and I don't think I'm far off in that track, that Jesus needed a song in his heart to go into battle, to go into spiritual battle that he faced in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we talked a lot about that. We talked about Paul and Silas, who at midnight, having been beaten, uh, arrested, thrown in jail, having been beaten, put in stocks for having pronounced victory and deliverance to a young lady or to a lady who was demon-possessed by the devil, and she was set free, but that caused uh, punishment brought to them. But at midnight, they were praying and began to sing. And they sang at midnight in that darkened uh, prison stone place where it was, and out of that, chains fell off. The uh, Philippian jailer was saved, and he and his household and God came in and did kingdom work right there in the middle of that song. And then we talked about King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, where the, uh, the army was coming up from the south. Up, They had reached En Gedi. They're continuing up that Jordan Valley, and they were going to hit Jericho and go straight up into Jerusalem. And he was alarmed. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. I don't want to go over all of it, but if you remember, when they, when they inquired of the Lord, they said, Lord, we need your help. Our eyes are on you. And at the end of that, uh, in the sort of the victory part of that, is they had a choir, choir of men. Men, okay, you're going to sing a song, and guess what? You get to go in front of the tanks and the helicopters and the howitzers. You get to go first and sing. I'm sure that choir said, okay, that's a great idea. Boy, that's unusual. We get to go first. But they did. And they sang a wonderful and I think is more battle-minded than we think. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness, his mercy endures forever. That declaration of who God is routed the enemy, and uh, they saw victory. So after last week, I don't have the time to ask this question, but have you used a song this week? Have you battled with a song? Have you battled with something in your heart that would uh, give you the strength to make it because of the power of music, the power of the song. We talked a lot about that week. But um, 
Jesus told a woman at the well in John 4, we're not going to look at it, he said to her, the Father is seeking those who would worship him, who would worship him in spirit and in truth. So your song needs to be not only a song of encouragement, but a song of worship. And, and I'll let you know this, the Father's looking for you. He seeks those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Come and behold and come with an honest heart. Come with a heart that's right out there and say, I'm going to worship God, and you do it. So I pray you are. I pray you're learning to get your song and to sing it. Now, I, I still am thinking about the resurrection of Jesus and what he did. Because I think uh, too often in my experience and even some of my own behavior, I have treated it like on the church calendar, that event's over, let's move on to the next event. Let's, let's all get charged up for Pentecost Sunday, Shavuot. Let's get that. It's coming in 50, 49 days, 50 days. We'll celebrate that. And we just forget about that. We forget about the resurrection. So in the last several Sundays, I've been going back and we've been checking things out. But I'm thinking about the resurrected Jesus. What did the resurrected Jesus do? He came out of the grave. We know that he talked to Mary. Let's go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And uh, many of these things are recorded in this uh, John's gospel. But John chapter 20, and we know that that early part of the week, uh, Jesus had been buried. And on the first day of the week, verse 1, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away. Well, in that story, she is grieving. She didn't know where they had taken the Lord. But Mary's experience with the resurrected Lord, if you could look down to um, verse 15. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you'd carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. I'll bring his body back and put it where it belongs, because this is a tomb for him. You just tell me, and I'll go with. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She heard her name in his voice, and life was different. She saw him, uh, turned to him and cried out, and, uh, and she, then she gave the news, I have seen him, a powerful experience that she had with the resurrected Christ, and uh, when she heard her name in his voice, and uh, we made comments about that, that we need to hear our name in his voice. That relationship, this is all about relationship with him. And life, our life has changed. Well, the second, second group of people that he met resurrected now, verse um, 19. On the evening of the first day when the disciples were together uh, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. So Jesus comes in, and, and that would have been experience, I think. You know, if uh, <laughs> reminded me. Years ago, it's sort of way off track, but I've been known, what is it? it's my rabbit, so I'm going to follow it. <laughs> and I, I got a rabbit out here. Uh, our brother-in-law, uh, going to marry my younger sister, one of my younger sisters, was living with us, Judy and me, at our house in Munner Falls, where we are living, and he was staying with us the week before the wedding. And I come home from work, and she said, this guy is quiet. I mean, this is the quietest guy you're ever going to, I mean, I can hardly hear him upstairs where he is, and I can't hardly hear. So it's late, because he's making, I mean, he's with my sister, making out with my sister. Anyway, so he comes in late, we're laying in bed, and she said, now listen, 
And I'm listening. She said, he just opened the back door. Okay. He's, he's going upstairs. Right? He's going, okay. So we're tracking him in our house. He just, he just closes the door up on the bathroom upstairs. He just, and about that time, I mean, we're listening. About that time, he's trying to get in the house. <laughs> Wait a minute. Trying to get in. We're both up like this. Uh, now that is surprising, so I got to let him in. Oh, you haven't been in my house. Oh, no. <laughs> but, but the startling part about that is I had him figured out where he was going to be, and that's just scared us both because he wasn't even in yet. He's wandering around my house, look, checking windows. How do I get in? But we had locked the doors. Now, what would have been like for the disciples? They got the door locked. They're afraid that somebody's going to come in, and Jesus doesn't even knock. He just comes in. Now, I think that would scare me. Maybe not you. You look like I could handle that. I'm not sure you could, but anyway, that's all right. And so he comes in. He said, peace to you, calm, because their little hearts are fluttering, and they're, they got a storm in their life. And he just said, peace, <laughs> you know, calm down, boys. And he showed them his hands and his side. They were overjoyed. But 21, uh, I'm sorry, verse 24, Thomas wasn't with them. Now, this is the third group, of third person he saw. He wasn't with them, and he come back, and he said, we've seen Jesus. He's been here. He came in the walls. He came here. He's here, and it was really wonderful. He said, I don't believe it. I will not believe until I could touch him and see it. I don't believe that. Then, verse 26, about a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He's got this habit of showing up. Could I make a spiritual lesson for you? Jesus has a habit of showing up where you don't expect him. He's going to come into your world in places that you need to know he's there, and he might surprise you. But look for him. He's resurrected. He's alive. He's alive right now. He can show up right now and touch your heart in a way that you've never known before because he has a way to do that. He does it. So here they were. Thomas said, uh, well, <laughs> he said, Thomas, uh, come over here, put your finger here, put your hands, reach out and do that. He said, oh, Lord, my God. So that's another power of the resurrection scene in the life of Thomas. We could go over to the book of Luke, and there were two disciples on their way to Emmaus, walking along. Jesus appears to them, and he begins to teach them and talk to them. So you're following what I'm thinking here. The resurrected Lord is doing things. He is walking with them. And then if you get to John 20, because we didn't turn to Luke uh, 24, well, let me go back to, to verse 30 of chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so you might believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Then, afterward, oh, that's nice music. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, that Simon, Peter, Thomas, and Nathaniel one were fishing. And Jesus came along the side, and he taught them again, and he restored Peter. Each interaction that Jesus had as a resurrected Christ was to teach them, and he was ministering to them life, hope, challenge, talking about Mary, Thomas, uh, Peter and the disciples. But what else was going on? Turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Just over a page. In my former book, Theophilus, 
write about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, that would have been the, you know, the suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard of me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the dates, times or dates the Father will set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken away from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go up into heaven. So at this particular thing, and I read one scripture already, but I'll say it again here. Many things Jesus did to prove to them that he was alive. Because I'm sure they thought, we're seeing a ghost. We're not, we're, this is weird. We're getting these aberrations. This is really wrong. But he, he, he knew what they needed to know, and he gave convincing proofs. Verse, verse 3, he presented himself and gave many con convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what those proofs were, but I can imagine what they would be. They would be uh, more miracles because he did miracles before in his ministry, then the cross, then he was buried, and then he rose again, and now same, maybe a continuation of miracles in healings and deliverances. Maybe uh, to prove what he's alive because there's places that Jesus said, you have anything to eat? I want to eat with you, and he would eat with them to prove to them that he was alive. We have already come 14 days since then, and there's 26 more days until the ascension. Uh, May 26 will be ascension day, the 40 days that Jesus was with the disciples, convincing proofs. But here's the, the line that I want us to understand. He spoke to them concerning the kingdom of God. Ver the end of verse 3. Throughout his time... He was talking to them about the kingdom of God, the, the rule of God. Now, I think about this. If Jesus would be with us right now prior to his ascension, not the second coming, not rapture, none of the end times thing, but if he was still right here, what would he talk to us about? What would his word be to Suffield Fellowship as the resurrected Lord for 40 days? What if... That 40 days was extended into 2,000 years, and he's just going, what's he going to talk about? The scriptures indicate that Jesus had one topic that rode through everything he did and said, and it was the kingdom of God. He said, I need to talk to you about the kingdom. Now, certainly he gave them command to go and preach the gospel, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples, Mark 16. 
Luke 19, he said, you occupy till I return. You get busy and you do business until I come back. So there's certainly that kind of things about the kingdom. And he said, I'm coming back. And the, the angels there, the men in white stood there, and he said the same way you saw him go, he's going to come back. He told, he told his disciples, John 14, he said, I'm coming back. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you can be also. I'm going to be working, getting you back, because I'm coming back. But in the meantime, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Why was that so important? He could have just comforted them. Let me just lay out a couple of things. I won't be able to go deep in it, and I won't, but I want to give you some summarization of it all. The kingdom of God is the realm where God reigns supreme and Jesus is king. I'll just make that clear again. The kingdom of God is where God reigns supreme and Jesus is king. The kingdom of God. A quote from an Old Testament scholar, Graham Goldworthy, summarized it this way. God's people in God's place under God's rule. We're the people of God. We're under his kingdom rule. God's ruling on the earth in his people, the kingdom of God. Another definition of it is the fulfillment on earth of God's will. He reigns as king. He's the king. The kingdom of God is the sovereignty of God and his rule over all creation. You see, Jesus came preaching the kingdom. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to just go to Matthew chapter, actually chapter 4 and 5, but we'll go to 4 first, Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus came and began his ministry, he went through the temptation, and he came out full of the Holy Spirit and power, and he began to minister, and it says in, in Matthew chapter 4, he began to preach, and he begins to teach people to fulfill the scriptures. But verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. King James says the kingdom of God is at hand. It is close. The kingdom of God is here. What is the kingdom of God? The sovereign rule and reign of, of God. His will being done upon earth. The kingdom of God. And then you get to verse 23 of chapter 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. We know the gospel, the good news, is Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. But it's the, 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 the further part of that kingdom, uh, good news, is that he is king and he takes rule over my life and, and things get in order because it's under his rule and under his reign, the good news of the kingdom. And he was healing diseases and sicknesses among the people. You see, he began preaching the kingdom and he gets to the end of his ministry, three and a half years later, he begins to teach them what? More about God's rule. Chapter 5 begins what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He begins to teach about the kingdom. The first uh, 16 verses, 11, 16 verses, he said, and we call them the Beatitudes, the blessings, the marks of kingdom life. The kingdom of God is how it works in my life. How does that unfold, the rule of God? And I could give you a little quiz this morning and ask you, how important is God's kingdom to you as a believer? Or is it just, uh, I'm saved, I'm going to go to heaven? What about his kingdom rule in your life, my life, right now? 
where the decisions I make are based upon his wisdom and his decisions. And as I, I, I go after him. You see, we're too focused on the kingdoms of this earth. The things that are going on in our world. We're stuck in our thinking about the kingdom of the United States, the kingdom of Russia, the kingdom of the Ukraine, and, and Syria, and Iran, and Mexico, the kingdoms of Canada, the kingdoms of the world. And, God, and we associate that, well, I'm concerned about what all these governments are going to do, and we fail to consider that God is sovereign. He's Lord over all this earth. His glory is over all the earth. The world will one day all bow their knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. But right now, our minds are focused on Maybe the, the kingdom of the oil business that we have. You know, I want gas. Cheap, I want cheap gas. I want, I want. And that leads me to the other kingdom we're concerned about. That's the kingdom of self. My kingdom. It's my life. I'll do with my life what I want. Oh, I'm a Christian. Yes, I am. I gave my life to Jesus. I'm a Christian. And it's true. If you gave your life to Jesus, repent of your sins and say, Lord, I give you my life. And I repent of my sin, receive you as my Savior. That's true. But I'm asking you the further question of that. Is he Lord of your life? Is he king of your life? King of my life, I crown you now. Lord, you are king of my life. I don't have, uh, I want to read this first passage. Like I said, I can't go through every word of it this morning. But I want you to see characteristics of the kingdom. The blessings of the kingdom. What it means to to the marks of kingdom life. Let's go to verse chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now remember, what is he teaching? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Interchangeable. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Interchangeable words there. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, he said. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before him. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, live kingdom life, live under the rule of the king, and your king, God in heaven, is going to be glorified by those actions. God's going to get glory when we behave like kingdom people. And so here's, the, here, here's how this has affected me. I had a conversation in the barbershop the other day, and um, 
it was an interesting conversation because we, I, I walk in and they know me and I know them. And they said, hey, Jim, how you doing? I said, I am blessed. I, this today, the sun was shining. I said, I, this, is, this is a great day. And he said to me, what? You're positive? I like you. <laughs> and we had a conversation about how our words display what's in our heart and how that can be impactful in influencing other people. We, we talked about that. And of course, uh, as barbers do, they hear everything, you know. Cutting the hair, they've got a captive audience. Grab it and start. If, if you don't say the right things, you're going to get the mohawk that you never wanted or, or whatever they want to do. I just have to keep reminding. Just, you know, you know what to do. Just, and it feels like it's all getting whacked off and stuff. But, and it was. So anyway. But he said, uh, he said, I hear it all the time. Ask somebody how they're doing. Oh, oh, oh. It's terrible. It's marked by death. It's marked by, by despair. It's marked by deception. It's just marked. Why? What's, that's what's in their heart. And we talked about the power of influence. Now, I'm having this conversation. There's other people in the barbershop. I think they heard some of it. I hope they did. I needed, I needed the sound guys in the back to give me a, a megaphone. Listen. <laughs> What, how are you influencing people around you? Are you living kingdom of God life in how your mouth works? Is that displaying that? And so I'm thinking, when Jesus is talking about his disciples, he's talking, oh, okay, it isn't a commentary on the kingdom of heaven is here. He's not unfolding the Old Testament scrolls and doing that. He said, listen, the kingdom of God affects your life right now, guys. You can't do without the power of the Holy Spirit, which he also says in Acts chapter 1, and in chapter 2 it happens. But I want to tell you, it's kingdom living. God wants to work through you to, for you, and I just read it, you're a light, you're salt, get out there and do that. It's kingdom life. Like I said, it's, Jesus gives final words. But I, wanna, I want to, just for your thinking, summarize this. By reading another way to say this by a man by the name of Eugene Peterson. He wrote a passage, of, uh, he wrote a Bible, you probably have it, or it's a paraphrase called The Message. He was an Old Testament and New Testament language teacher in college and then was called the pastor of church. For 30 years, he would have his lesson, his passage, and then he would translate it into a story, time, a story way of saying the same things. I have found it very interesting because of the insights he gives in just a word or two. And, um, and then he began to put that into print. We have what is called the Message Bible today. It's a paraphrase. It isn't, and he said, this is not a translation. It's just a, a, a paraphrase. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. So I want to go back down through this just in a few minutes today because I want to grab hold of some things on how he said it to make this jump out at us. Go back to verse 1. Now, you, you can see it right there, but listen how I read it. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving in a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. Now, you see how, what is happening here? He's sort of putting uh, modern language to what that just said. He began to teach him. This is what he said. Verse 3, 
You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Okay, verse 3 said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you're mourning, when you're at the end of your rope, because with less of you, there's more of God and his rule. That's kingdom principle right there. You're, you're poor in spirit. Why? Because I can't do it. I, I'm just able to do it. Yours is the kingdom. You get God's rule in your life. Let me go on. Verse 4, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you, the Lord. They will be comforted. Five, you'll be blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You know, you're going to inherit the earth. You're going to get stuff that the world can't give you. Verse 6, blessed are the hungry. That's what this, we read. You're blessed when, you work, when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. I like that. You'll be filled with God. Seven, you're blessed when you care. At the moment you're being careful, you find yourselves cared for. Number eight. You're blessed when you get your world, your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Verse 9. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You'll be called the children of God, it says now. Verse 10. You'll be blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Verse 11, 12, not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit you or discredit me, he writes, the Lord said. But it, what it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applause. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always, always gotten into this kind of trouble. I like how he says it, because it puts it in a way that I can grab hold of it easily. Rejoice and be glad, in verse 12. I'm reading from the NIV, because great is your reward in heaven. Well, I'm going to give a shout. Thank you that people are discrediting me. Thank you, Lord, that people are coming after me. Thank you, because I, they're doing it against the Lord in me, not particularly me. If I did it, I deserve it, but it's the Lord. Now, here's the bottom line for today. It's about God being God in every part of my life. It's about him. It's about knowing that heaven and earth is going to pass away, but his word is never going to pass away. It's about understanding that God is in control. I love that verse. I, I thought about it, and I looked up and found it, what I was looking for. It's in Revelation eleven fifteen. Some of you know this. Some of you have been studying it lately, but eleven fifteen where he says the seventh angel sounded the trumpet with loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. I love that verse. Because kingdom of God will come upon the earth and he will reign forever and ever. Let me read uh, again from the message, those last three verses. Let me tell you why you're here. 
You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out God flavors on this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it, verse 14. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up to God, our generous Father who is in heaven. It's about shining his lights. It's kingdom. It's about being ready for his return. We're all ready. We have hope. We've talked about hope all this first part of this year since January. We have the blessed hope of his appearing. He's going to come back. But he sent his Holy Spirit to empower us to be his witnesses. I read it already in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit's come upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will be my salt. You will be my light bearer. You will be the one that's going to take the kingdom and pass it on to others so that we can be his witnesses. The resurrected Jesus is alive. What did he teach them? He taught them concerning the kingdom of God. In the 40 days that he had with them, he met them, he ministered to them, he did signs to prove who he was, but he taught them, he said, you've got to live in this reality. The kingdom of God is where we live, under his kingdom rule. He's living, he's soon coming, he's our king. We just need more of him. Worship team, if you would come. And would you stand together with me this morning and just ask that question again. Holy Spirit, what would you like to say to me today? What part of my life needs to be aligned up with your kingdom? What part of what you want to do in me takes place? So, Lord, we come to you. You came living out kingdom life. Lord Jesus, thank you for that. I pray that all of us here in this room would understand that when we walk in your kingdom rule, supernatural things can happen. Things that, that would bring about life and, and not death. That our words would being life and hope because we're speaking the words of Jesus to others. May we be bearers of the good news of the gospel and the good news of your rule. So Lord, we're going to admit it. We need more love. We need more power. We need more of you in our lives. Now, when we sing this, Lord, I pray you touch our hearts, our minds, that it will become the reality of our words from our heart. We need you to see you in our lives. Lord, have your way in us today. In the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm.